0: Hey, well, good morning, and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Yeah, it is a good morning as we press forward in John's Gospel. I'm excited this morning uh, to be uh, continuing in this uh, Gospel that teaches us so clearly about uh, the goodness of God expressed to us through uh, Jesus Christ. You know, the thing I like about um, uh, John's Gospel, and if, if, if you're here with us for the first time, uh, we, are, we are journeying through John's Gospel for the entire year, so we will be uh, in this gospel for the whole year. We're in chapter four. We'll be wrapping up chapter four this morning. Um, but we decided that we wanted to get a crystal clear vision of um, who Jesus uh, was as a man that lived on earth, who Jesus is, um, and also to just to examine the stories that teach us about our Lord and Savior. And so we figured we'd take a deep dive into the gospel of John. Uh, and so if you're here with us for the first time, that's what we're. That's what we're doing. We're exploring the gospel of John. One of the reasons why I love this gospel um, is, and, and uh, I was about to say, well, I love this gospel more than the others. But it's not more than the others. It's just different than the others. And maybe it points something uh, or in some way to the simplicity of my mind, and that's that John tells a lot of stories which are easy for me to grasp. Um, so I'm, I'm good with stories. I have a hard time with more deep teachings. Um, but what Jesus does uh, uh, expertly and what John does in his gospel is they teach us the deep things about God through stories that are accessible. And so if you're here and, you're, uh, and you want to learn some deep things about God, you can do that in the gospel of John. But if you're here and you're saying, hey, I'm, just, I'm new to the faith and I just want uh, to know more about this man they call Jesus, you can do that through the gospel of John. So that's why I love this, this gospel because it gives us the ability to explore at a surface level, but then also to explore at a deeper level who who Jesus is. So uh, good morning again. And uh, if you're here for the first time again, uh, we have these cards in the back of the seats. Uh, We'd just love to know that you are here. We'd love to um, um, just be praying for you and to know that you're here. So whatever you feel comfortable filling out on those cards, we'd love for you to do that. And when we take communion after the message, uh, you can just drop them in the buckets that are on the table. And also, if you have any, uh, any kind of prayer requests, anything you're going through in your life, we do. Our staff gets together on uh, Monday mornings, and we uh, pray uh, over those cards and about anything that's going on in your life. And we love to know and have that opportunity to be in prayer with you and for you. Uh, and, and also, we love to hear the stories of what God is doing in your life. So, so continue to tell, uh, tell those stories. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place to open your word, to read the story. Stories are powerful. In fact, when Jesus lived and walked on the earth, he told many stories. We call them parables. And these stories were memorable and they stuck with people. They were in people's minds as they walked and journeyed back to their homes. And God, you've shown us how you are able to use stories to transform people's lives. And that it's not just in the hearing of the story, but it's in what you're able to do with that story that is powerful. And so God, as we continue to press into the gospel of John and into these stories that John records, God, I pray that these stories will be stuck in our mind in such a way that you will have every opportunity to use them in order to transform us and bring us into being the kind of people that you created us to be. God, may this story be used powerfully by you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right. So this morning we're at the second miracle story in the Gospel of John, and you might remember the first miracle story that we encountered several weeks ago was the story where Jesus turned water into wine, uh, which is a peculiar story. I actually, in fact, I woke up this morning thinking about that's just a peculiar story. Here we have Jesus, um, uh, and maybe with some of our church history, that story seems a little odder, especially in our culture where there are times when. Um, in places where alcohol has been demonized, right, and, and considered inappropriate for people who follow God. And in our culture, looking back and seeing that Jesus turned water into wine, and not just any ordinary wine, but really good wine, uh, the Bible says. In fact, it was better than the wine that they went to the store and purchased, that they spent their best money on. Jesus turned water into wine, and there's this miracle that happened there in John chapter 2 that points to the superior Priority of everything that Jesus does, that we can trust that whatever Jesus is doing in our world is going to be far superior to what humans can put their hands to and accomplish by their own might and their own strength. And so we have this story, this miracle story, Jesus turning water into wine, and it left people bewildered and uh, confused and, 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 and wondering, not, not just because Jesus made wine, but because he made wine out of water. And it was it was it was it was bewildering and i mean just imagine being there right just imagine being in that space and seeing that being water and knowing that it that it was water being absolutely certain that it was Water. I mean, it's like, hey, do that again, right? Do, do, do you do that one more time? You know, you catch, you're looking for the, uh, for the, for the, for him to slide the jars out. You know, maybe you blink too quick and he slid the jars away and slid some new ones in or something. It's like, hold on, do that again. And you're holding your eyes open, like I'm not going to blink this time or something. I don't know, but Jesus did this thing, right? And people were bewildered and wondering. And then John and his gospel helps us make sense of this, right? By calling it a sign, right? If you remember in, in John chapter two. Uh, verse, uh, uh, well, we'll start in, in, in verse 10. Uh, in John chapter 2, verse 10, look at what, what, um, what John writes about this story. It says in, yeah, verse 10, every man serves the good wine first. This is the reaction of the people, right? Um, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. And then John, this is his commentary on this. This um, this beginning of his signs, Jesus. This beginning thats weird. Uh, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Right. The beginning of his signs. Right. These are the. This is the first sign that Jesus did, and John is really helping us make sense of what Jesus is doing by calling them by calling them a uh, uh, sign. Now, there's seven signs in the gospel of John, and John kind of organizes his gospel around these seven signs. Beginning in John chapter 2, there's Jesus turning water into wine. This morning in John chapter 4, we have uh, Jesus healing this government official's son. And then we have in, in John chapter 5, we have uh, Jesus healing a man who couldn't walk, had never walked. And Jesus tells his man to get up and walk. And in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 with two uh, fish and um, and, and, and five um, biscuits, then you have uh, I, I, I think biscuits because nobody walks around with loaves of bread for lunch, so they were probably small like biscuits. John chapter six, Jesus walks on on water, then John nine he heals the man born blind John eleven. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and these, these signs that, 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 um, that Jesus does are these miraculous displays of God's power, right? And they almost have this momentum, this sense of momentum or building in them. They start with something like water into wine, so they have something better to drink than water. But it ends with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and people are still wondering and bewildered about what God is doing in, in, in their midst see, all seven of these signs are miraculous displays of God's power. But here's what what John is doing by calling these signs. He's showing us that they're not just displays of God's power, that they're pointing to something. Because that's fundamentally the nature of signs, that sign is never about the sign itself, right? The sign is always pointing to something Beyond the sign. I can think of the, 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 um, the, the, uh, my favorite sign of all time. So my, my wife and I, we have um, some friends uh, in Memphis, or we had friends in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and so for several years, multi, multi, probably eight or nine years, we had friends in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And we would go up there from time to time just to visit them and hang out with them and stay with them. Uh, And and, and at the time, we were actually living in Milledgeville, but we've we've been up there since we've been here uh, as well. And every time we go up there, it's the same thing. And you would think that we would get it right after the first time, but we just can't get it right. It's about a, I don't remember from here, but I think it's about an eight-hour drive to get to to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, And so we we would leave, and I'm one of those guys. I don't know uh, if you are one of those people or if you're married to one of those people, but I'm one of those guys that I'm concerned about making good time whenever I'm on the road. Uh, And so I I start usually with a cup of coffee, and I try to make it as far as I can until I get too hungry to keep going. Uh, and I'm one of those people, I, I can go most of the day without eating, right? I, can, I, I, I just can But when I get hungry, like it hits me like a ton of bricks. And so every time we go to Memphis, this, this is funny um, because I do it over and over again. Every time we go to Memphis, I'm like, okay, I'm making good time, pedal uh, to the ground, right? And, and I'm trying to see how quickly I can get from Atlanta or from Millishville to, to Memphis, and every time we hit this, I mean it feels like a, um, I mean, it feels like a desert, like a, literally a food desert in Mississippi. After you cross through Birmingham on your way to Memphis, there is like nothing. I mean, there are not exits that have anything, not gas. you better fill up your tank, you better get something to eat, at least have a snack, have some water, have something because there's nothing. and every time we go to Memphis, it feels like. We hit that spot where there is absolutely nothing for it. I don't know how long. It feels like two, three, four hours. I don't know how long it really is. But we hit that spot right around dinner time. And I get hangry, right? I get hungry and angry at the same time, and Kim doesn't want to be trapped in the car with me, but there's really nowhere to go. And we're just, I'm, and, and every single time we've gone, I'm, I'm telling you, they've come to know us as friends, the manager at KFC, because we see this KFC sign on the side of the highway, and every single time on the way to Memphis, and every time we look at each other and go, didn't we do this last time? Um, but, but here's the deal. We see that KFC sign, and it's pointing not, not to the sign itself, but it's pointing beyond itself to something that's more real, right? Something that's more, more satisfying. Or this week, Jamie and Jamie, oh, we got two Jamies on staff at Tri-Cities Church. It gets frustrating. Uh, but Jamie and uh, Jamie, Jamie, boy Jamie, girl Jamie, we're meeting on Monday morning, um, in the office, and and uh, and and, and, I, and I told him about my plans that I had to cook dinner. Right, I, I like to use a crock pot, and I, I was craving some chili because it was cold at the beginning of this week, and now it's warmed up. It's- crazy Atlanta weather. Um, um, But it was cold at the beginning of this week and I wanted a big pot of chili. So I said, hey, I'm running home to to, to go cook some chili. And I'd already chopped everything up and I was just going to throw it in the crock pot and I was going to just let it do its thing. And when I got home, I was going to have some nice hot chili. All right, so I did that and I walked in the house and I smelled it and it was, a, it was a sign of what was coming for dinner, right? And I was so excited about uh, that, that pot of chili. In fact, uh, don't tell my wife she's not here, but um, I, I, you know, I went and got the biggest spoon I could find in the kitchen, just started eating straight out of the crock pot. It got some, um, some little, little scoops, nacho chips, but well, I was dipping them in there and everything. And that chili was good. But, but when I walked in the door, there was a sign of what was to come. And it, I could smell it, you know, I could take it in with my senses, because that's, what, that's how sign work, right? Um, signs are always pointing beyond themselves. They're never about the sign itself. So if you see a gas sign or a stop sign or KFC sign or a smell that you're taking in, there's a sign of something that's there is never about the sign itself. In fact, our satisfaction, our hopes, our joy is never Found in the sign when I when I saw that KFC sign, i didn't just pull over on the side of the road and say, "Praise God, I can sit here all day." I wasn't satisfied until I had a bucket of chicken in my lap, and I was like in the car because I'm just eating the whole bucket. And I wasn't satisfied with the chili until I had it in my belly, right? Because I, I, the sign was was not about itself, and satisfaction could never be found in the sign itself, and. And when we get into John chapter 4, Jesus is a little frustrated because people are seeing these signs, and they're mistakenly thinking that their hope, their satisfaction, their joy is found in the sign. And John is showing us how easily it is, uh, how easy it is in this world for us to be captivated by these signs, to be drawn in by these signs, to take what they offer as fullness, as the fullness of our satisfaction, as the uh, manifestation of what we really need, as the realization of what God is doing, when ultimately these signs are pointing beyond themselves to something, to something else. And so the sign that we're looking at this morning begins in John chapter 4. Uh, where this, um, where, where Jesus is, is, starts kind of odd, but Jesus is encouraging his, his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 43, um, because his disciples have kind of signed up for this Jesus thing, right? Jesus said, hey, come follow me, be a part of what I'm doing. They have signed up, they've left stuff behind, family and boats and houses, cars, maybe not cars, but they left stuff um, behind in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus was facing all kinds of opposition, right? They were People, particularly the Jews, as John tells us was going to happen, right? The Jews are standing in opposition of Jesus. And now, after Jesus received this warm welcome in Samaria from the Samaritans, now Jesus is traveling back to Galilee with his disciples, where he's been opposed by the religious establishment who's standing in the way of what God is doing. And the disciples are starting, at least this is my imagination, right? I'm reading a little bit into the text here. And the disciples are starting to question question, right, their decision to follow Jesus. And Jesus begins to encourage them, right, and tell them that there's times when God is doing something in this world, and for you it might clearly be a God thing, and other people just will not get it. Look at what Jesus says in verse uh, 43. It says, After two days, he went from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so here we have Jesus in his own country being opposed, being uh, ridiculed, people wanting later on to kill him, to arrest him, to stop him from doing the work of God. And and, and as I read this text, I was encouraged by the fact that there are times when... um, there are times when you can be fully within God's will for your life and people around you just will not get it. They just won't understand what God is doing in you and through you. Now, now, now that's what's happening um, for Jesus. Jesus. He was sent to this world. In fact, John tells us, if you flip back just a couple of verses in John chapter 1. um, John chapter 1, uh, what, what verse am I in? Verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is in the prologue, the beginning of John. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own. That's what I'm looking for. And, his, and those who were his own did not receive him. And so uh, um, uh, John wants us to see here from the beginning that God was doing a magnificent work through Jesus, and even those who were around him, that grew up with him, that knew him, that had the same life experiences, some of them at least as he did, would not understand what God was doing in his life. Now I say that, um, and and I say that, and I want to I want to kind of walk into, um, yeah, I want to walk into some accountability for us as the church. Um, because here's the thing, right? Uh, the Bible isn't giving us um, the rights to do whatever we want to do and then tag God's name on it as God's calling me to do that. You, you know how that is, right? Uh, you might have, you, maybe it was a friend of yours or somebody that you knew, and they're going, well, you know, God's, and it's almost like once they say God's calling me to do that, you really can't say, well... Um. I. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you really can't. Like, you, I mean, it's hard to challenge it once they say God's calling me to do it, and so uh, that's become one of these things where we say I'm doing what I want to do. At least that's what's happening in our head, and then in front of everybody else, we're saying God's calling me to do it. They just don't understand just like they didn't understand Jesus, just like Jesus was misunderstood. I'm just like Jesus. People are just misunderstanding what God is calling me to do. And so I, I, I want to walk us into a place of accountability and not just this place of re- rebelliousness and doing whatever we want. And, and we got to say um, that, that in some sense, what God is calling us to do, well, not in some sense, um, um, what God is calling us to do will fully line up with what's in Scriptures, right? So God isn't going to call you do something crazy that goes against Scripture. It's fully going to line up with, with Scripture. And also, um, um, God has created us to live and exist within Christian community. Um, and our community should have a voice in our lives. right? We've got to be willing to give our community a voice in our lives. We, we must be willing to give them permission to have a voice in our lives. And and, 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 and that's the church, right? The, the church becomes that community where we are encouraged, where we are challenged, sometimes we're corrected, and we got to be willing to have that, not just say, "Well, this is what God wants me to do." So here we have in this story, we have Jesus who is misunderstood. People are not um, people. People are not believing in what God is doing in His life, and people are rejecting Him. But but something different happens this time in the Gospel of John when Jesus goes back into Galilee um, in, in verse forty. Forty oh boy. Uh, in verse 45, this time he receives a different kind of welcome from the Jews. Look at what happens. Uh, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So this time Jesus receives this totally different welcome. In fact, it almost seems like people are coming out to meet him, coming out to greet him, to hang with with Jesus. But here's the deal that we see as we dig deeper into this story, and as we read it, what we begin to see is that they weren't coming out because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't coming out because they had faith and belief and wanted to draw near to God. But they had seen what God had done. And they had heard the stories of what God offered them. And they wanted their blessing. Right? And so they're drawing near to God so that they could be, or to Jesus, so that they could be blessed by him, so they could be recipients of the blessings of God. And so we see Jesus receiving this totally different welcome. And Jesus pauses uh, because this royal official, as John says, this royal official comes running up to Jesus, and, and he's in need of something from him. In verse 46, it says, Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so we see this royal official, this government official who's come to Jesus, and it's it's, um, it's not out of a place of faith that he finds himself standing in front of Jesus, but it's out of a place of desperation, out of a place of need. He needed Jesus to do something for him. And and as I I read this text, and as I, I engage it slowly, it's easy for us to be captivated by the signs, right? It's easy for us to find ourselves in a place of wanting something, needing something from God. And pressing into him and finding ourselves in front of him more frequently and more fervently when we need something, when we have very strong immediate needs um, that are not being met. Because this guy, his son, was sick, and the Bible says he had a fever, uh, and in fact, that he was almost at the point of death. It says when he heard that he had come out of Galilee, into Galilee out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. And so his son didn't have, he, it wasn't sinuses, right? It, it, he didn't have a head cold, right? He, didn't, he hadn't eaten some bad meat. It wasn't a stomach bug. It wasn't, wasn't a virus. This, this guy's son was at the point of death, and he had a need, and he found himself standing before Jesus because he needed to have his needs met. And what Jesus does is he challenges this guy's faith. And he challenges our faith as well. Because it's easy for faith to be built on this, almost like a principle of reciprocity, right? Um, God, I'll come before you and worship you, but I need you to do this. Or God, because you've done this, I'm going to worship you and read the scriptures for a little while, or uh, because I need this, I'm going to give and go to church, or because, you know, and our faith becomes this kind of give and take, and we base our faith on what God has to offer and give, and what God does for me, I do for God. It's kind of like, God, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Do for me, I'll do for you, I'll go to church if you do this, but when you don't... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you don't, that something begins to hinder and what God desires out of us is this faith that seeks Him fervently no matter what we have, whether we have all that we need or we have none of the things we need. He desires this faith that seeks to, to, to worship Him fervently, not this faith that's before Him because of what He has to offer. What we see from this royal official is that that he's, he's before Jesus because of what Jesus has to offer, what Jesus has to give him. And he's demanding that Jesus does something. And so Jesus says to him, look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The Scripture's challenging, um, challenging us to, to worship God simply on the basis of who God is. Not on the basis of what what He's done, um, but simply on the basis of who God is. And it it causes me to at least pause and ask myself, um, to what degree have I been uh, living in a relationship with God that's based on what God has to offer me? To what degree is my faith built on what God has done or what I need God to do for me? And if all else crumbles, right? If all, everything else falls apart, if I lose everything I have and it's impossible for me to see that God is doing anything for me will i still worship him will i still sing with the same joy will i still uh, press into him as fervently through prayer and and being a part of the church and being a part of my small group and 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 will i do all these things that i did in the good times that i did in the bad in fact i've been reading through um, the, uh, not the gospel, I was about to say the gospel of Job. Uh, not the gospel of Job, but the book of Job in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with that story, Job lost every. he had. He lost his kids. He lost his cattle. That's like his savings account. He lost his homes. He lost all the things. Disease struck his body. And if you read that story, there's this powerful line in there where basically at the end of Job losing everything that he has, it says that he fell down and he worshiped God. It's just a powerful sign of we're not worshiping God on the basis or the premise that he's given us something or the fact that he's offered us something or he's done something for us, right? That's not where our worship resides, right? Our worship resides just in who God is, right? Not having anything to do with what he's done. And so when we get in John chapter 4, we see that Jesus is challenging this, the nature of this man's faith because his faith is... is, is, is um, He's before Jesus because he's in desperate need, and that's not the kind of faith that God is looking for from us. This story's odd because this guy almost ignores what Jesus says. Um, He begins to press in for what he needs. In fact, there are times in our life where our immediate need will blind us to our spiritual or eternal need, and that's just what's happening in this story. In verse um, verse uh, 49, listen to what it says. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. It's almost like, yeah, 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 Jesus, I hear you. I got you, but this is what I need, right? My son is sick. He's getting ready to die. I know the whole spiel about faith and, and belief with no signs. I've heard about that. Um, but my son is getting ready to die, right? This is my immediate need is what he's saying. And, and, and Jesus responds to that. Listen to what he, what he, what he does. Um, in verse 50, he says, said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off as he was going down. His slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was uh, at that hour at which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed in his whole household. Um, so we, we, see that, um, we, we see that it is possible to have faith and belief in Jesus on the basis of what he has done. That is possible. Um, but if our faith and belief is only based on the merits and the things that God has done, the rewards of God, things that He has given to us physically in this life, if our faith is base, based solely on that and not on who God is, then that kind of faith is shaky and unstable. The analogy that I'm thinking of right now, and I'm rolling with it even though I wasn't planning it. So uh, again, this is one of those, if it goes bad, we'll edit this out of the sermon pretend that you heard the one that's online and not this one um but it, it, it's kind of like that um it, it, it's it's kind of like that that marriage right um, oftentimes in marriages or, or, or this dating period right you have this honeymoon period right and, and, and uh, your your love may be right your uh, your passion in your relationship may be based on how that relationship makes you feel right what that relationship has to offer you who hasn't said when they 've fallen in love right i 've never felt like this before right she is the one I mean I had other ones that I love Like they kind of made me feel alright. I smiled a lot in those relationships, but she is the one. And there's somehow through some means, right? You're receiving something in this relationship, and you're excited about it, passionate about it, and and, and you're you. you, um, mm, It's like that infatuation where it's all you can think about. Y'all, y'all know that, right? That 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 when it's all yeah, all you can think about. And, you know, you wake up thinking about her. You go to sleep thinking. You're writing private love letters and stuff, Uh, sending all these sweet emails, buying flowers, all this kind of stuff because of how it's making you feel. Well, if nobody's ever told you and if your relationship is still at that point, Uh, spoiler alert, right? That is not consistent throughout all of your relationship, right? If you're going to be together for any long time, it's just not going to remain that way. He is going to do, she is going to do some things that will disappoint you, that will rub you the wrong way, that will make you want to walk out the door and shut it behind you and have nothing to do with him or her again. That's just going to happen. Now, right? Those good things, that good feeling that you feel, it will carry you through for a little while. And faith works kind of on a similar principle, right? That good feeling, what Jesus has done for you, the things that he's blessed you with, will carry you through for a little while wow. But if your faith is built fully on that good feeling, on the things He has done, it is rocky and unstable, and the boat may rock and tip at any given time. And so, where we see this guy, he believed because of what Jesus did for him. That's not the model that God is offering up to us as a proper model for faith. Because if you go back to verse 48, he says, Jesus said to them, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And over and over in this gospel, is challenging people to believe not on the basis of what God has done or what he's offered, but simply on the basis of who he is. That these signs are not about the signs themselves. That these signs are pointing beyond the sign to something far better. The signs are pointing beyond the sign to a God who's worth pursuing in times of plenty and in times of need. A God who's worth pursuing when we feel like we have the strength and when we feel like weakness is overtaking us. A time that's worth pursuing. A time. A God that's worth pursue it in times that are hard and times that are easy. You see, John, and if you remember where we started in this series, was with the purpose of John's writing. You see, for John, all of these signs are pointing, they're not about the signs, they're pointing beyond the sign. And what John says they're pointing to is life. He simply says they're pointing to to life. In fact, if you look at the very, uh, towards the end of John, in John chapter 20, verse um, 30, he says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. So there's a lot of other stuff that Jesus did. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, John had one purpose for writing this gospel one purpose for recording these signs is not so that we could believe on the basis of these signs but we could believe on the basis of who God is and that in believing in him and pursuing him with a steady and constant pursuit we might live ourselves into this life which is true life you see for John he wants to differentiate between uh, being alive and life right what he simply calls life this being alive and life for for John this uh, Being alive is just this common experience that all humans go through that's characterized by the pursuit of things that ultimately have an expiration date, right? You just think about it from the time we're born, we begin pursuing things um, that that ultimately expire. I think about little Emmanuel, our little foster son who's living with us every single day when he gets home. The first thing he does is because he's gotten to this point, right? I told y'all I hadn't talked about him in a while. I told y'all I was going to talk about him a lot. I hadn't talked about him in a while. Listen, I got a number of stories. Y'all sit down. We're going to be here. For a while, Um, uh, but (laughs) I I won't do that to you—not today. But it's coming, right? Every single day, right? When he comes in the house, the first thing he does is he runs to the refrigerator. Now that he can reach the handle, he grabs hold of the handle and starts tugging at it and crying because he wants to open it and and get milk out of the refrigerator. But here's the thing, right? From the time we are born, the things we crave and our life is characterized by the pursuit of things that ultimately have an expiration. Ultimately, they go bad. They wear out. So we pursue food which won't last forever. We pursue nice clothes and things that won't last forever. Everything that we ever pursue in this life is ultimately deteriorating. It won't last. It has an expiration date. So being alive is simply about living a life that's characterized by the pursuit of things that expire. Things that go bad, things that wear out, things at some point in time will no longer have any value. And John is pointing us to something he calls life, which is different from being alive. And for John, life is about receiving God's provision so that we can pursue and participate in the things of God It's about receiving God's provision so that we can pursue and participate in the things of God. Where we get this wrong over and over again, and this is just human nature, is we want to receive God's provision. So that we can sit on it, (laughs) right? God has blessed me. For me, I've gotten that raise. I got that job. I bought that car. I have that house. I got those. I got because God has blessed me. I've received God's provision. But what John wants to see is that living the life that God called us to live doesn't mean that God isn't going to provide for you, right? It doesn't mean that God isn't going to give you a job that will give you the ability to earn great wealth because he just might. He might not. But he just might give you the ability to earn great wealth. But God's provision is always so that you can participate in and pursue the things of God. God, that's how God works. And so once we put, um, because we have a tendency to do that, right? We we have a tendency to say, well, God blessed me. Um, Anytime you think of anything as being a blessing from God, the second question you got to ask yourself, right? First is, is this a blessing from God? You better think carefully how you answer that question, right? Because if that answer is yes, then God has blessed you with it so that you could bless others because that's the principle that God operates on, Right? Um, God's provision so that we can pursue and participate in the things of God. Because God doesn't do things without purpose. He's always acting on purpose. And so what John is trying to see is that there is life. In fact, in John 10, 10, he says, um, Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we've taken that abundant gospel to preach this message of prosperity, which teaches us that we're going to store up more and more for ourselves when that is, um, that's not gospel. Right? And that's not gospel come to the world that we see in Jesus Christ. Gospel is God has given you this abundant life, these abundant blessings so that you can pour it out on, on, on others. And so John is challenging us. John is challenging us to live into this, this life. And for John, um. Life and eternal life are used synonymously. And so the challenge that John is offering us in in this, this section and really in the whole gospel is be careful not to treat life, even eternal life or eternal life, like a possession. It's something that you have grasped hold of. Be be careful not to treat life, eternal life, like it's your ticket to heaven. And you can just sit on it. John is challenging us. And he's saying, Jesus has come so that you can have life, that life that God created you to have, begins now. It begins as you begin pursuing the God who's worth pursuing, not on the basis of reward, not on the basis of what he's giving you, but simply because he's worth pursuing. And as you pursue him, you will find that one of the best words to describe the experience is life. It's about pursuing God, not about receiving something from him. And if we receive anything, it's for the journey of pursuit. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to um, study this text in John that um, just challenges our human tendency to store up for ourselves, to bury treasure, <clears throat> to put <clears throat> value in savings. And, God, there are times when we put such value in storage, in burying, and in savings, that when we feel like we're storing up for ourselves security, in actuality we are withholding from you. God, please help us to be a people who don't withhold from you what you've given us to use for your will. But God, help us to live freely into this life that you've given us, not looking for signs so that we can bolster our faith, but looking at the image of God as it's been revealed through Jesus Christ so that we might believe more fully and pursue Jesus with our all. And pursue him into the experience of life, eternal life, abundant life. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen.